We all have a voice in our head that actually does a lot of good for us. A lot of people that I speak with, the first thing they say to me is, oh, please tell me how to silence that voice. And that's actually not what we want to do. I think we want to harness it. Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Brit & Co. All my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. In day-to-day life, it's not uncommon to hear the pestering negative voice in our heads that fills us with doubt and dread, and most of us usually have a hard time controlling it. But according to our guest today, this negative and nagging voice, otherwise known as chatter, is actually controllable and manageable. I'm so excited to be chatting with Dr. Ethan Cross. He is one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind, a best-selling author, an award-winning professor at the University of Michigan, and the director of the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory there as well. His book, Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters and How to Harness It, is a national bestseller that addresses the hidden power of our inner voice and shows us how to harness it to combat anxiety, improve physical and mental health, and deepen our relationship with others. It was chosen as one of the best new books of the year by The Washington Post, CNN, and USA Today. Ethan, I'm so excited to dive into this topic with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, so glad to be here, and I'm, I'm ready to dig in as well. Have you ever had some chatter? Have I ever had some voices in my head? I mean, how many can I talk about? <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite phrases is someone who referred to the voices as as the itty bitty shitty committee in their head. So itty bitty shitty committee. I B S C. I feel like we can make that an acronym. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. And it's, I mean, I guess it starts from the time you're born. Is this just a human experience? Do we all have our internal monologue and are there multiple voices or just one? Um, Well, we all have a voice in our head and I like to think about this voice as it's a kind of Swiss army knife of the human mind that, that actually does a lot of good for us. And I think this is an important point to emphasize because a lot of people that I speak with, the first thing they say to me is, oh, please tell me how to silence that voice, shut it up, get rid of it. And and that's actually not what we want to do. I think we want to harness it. And so here's why. When I use this term, like the voice in your head or the inner voice, what that refers to is our ability to silently use language to reflect in our lives. So if you can talk out loud, you can talk to yourself. And it turns out that language is a really powerful tool. It does lots of things for us. At the most basic end of the spectrum, if you go to the grocery store and if you are like me and you leave your cell phone behind and then are trying to figure out, hey, what do I need to buy? You repeat in your head, oh, um, cheese sticks, yogurt, uh, protein. I'm, I'm, I'm projecting here, right? That's like my groceries. But what lets you do that? That's the voice in your head. Your voice in your head is part of what we call our verbal working memory system. It's a basic system that lets us keep information active. If you repeat a phone number silently in your head, you're using your inner voice. So that's a vital function that it serves, but our inner voice also does lots of other stuff, like it lets us simulate and plan. So I don't know about you, I'd love to hear about whether this is true for you, but when when I have like a big presentation coming up, I'll often 
rehearse what I'm going to say in my head. I'll go for a walk in the neighborhood and I'll go over the talking points. I'll usually go through the whole speech and then I get to the end and then I'll even hear what the most obnoxious sounding audience member, what question they're going to ask me. And then I'll, oh. I'll respond back. So I'm engaging in that simulation. And am I alone in doing this or do you ever do something like well, this? Well, so I have so much to say about everything you just said. Uh, <laughs> the grocery store thing is a real thing. I was thinking about it yesterday because I actually went to the grocery store and I was like, I need five things. And I, I need to use like mnemonic devices in order to remember things usually. So the first thing I remember is the number five. So I remember how many things I need. Then I think about like where in the grocery store the five things are in my head. I was like, I'm driving to the grocery store doing yes. this <laughs> just so I don't forget. And I realized, you know, I'm a healthy 35 right now, but I feel like 25, 10 years ago, it didn't take me this much like cognitive energy to remember five things. And now it's taking me more. Maybe it's because I'm a mom. Welcome to the club. That's a whole other That's episode. That's a whole different part of chatter. Okay, so basically my point is I bucketed like memory into like one type of chatter, just like remember, and as a woman and a mom and a CEO and an investor, I have like a zillion things to remember all the time. Then there's emotional chatter, which is just like, how do I feel about this thing that's happening right now or the thing in the future, or the person in the audience that's going to say something? So that's like another part of it. But when you're talking about your speech, like your pretend speech that you're giving, I, prior to COVID, used to go on television all the time. And I had to remember the things I was going to say because it was live in front of millions of people. And some people memorize lines or memorize speeches in totally different ways. And that's seems to be just like a different part of how our brain works because actually the first episode of this podcast, I interviewed Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis about acting for everyday life. Like how do people in the real world remember things? And they had totally different methods. Ashton is like a line by line person. Mila just like comes into the room and figures out the bullet points of what she's supposed to say, then says them in her own way. So that's, sorry, that's a long winded way to say like, are there two buckets here? There's memory, which seems like very different based on our brain type and then emotions. And maybe that's different too. There's like four buckets. So there's even more buckets. So, okay. but you're absolutely right in drawing these distinctions. And I love that you're doing that because we have this tendency, I think, to just oversimplify. The inner voice is like, it does a lot of different things. It's active in a lot of different ways. And so we've got the memory piece. Then we've got the, the planning piece. Like, what are you going to say? I cannot memorize a speech word for word. That's the one thing that makes me anxious. So I'm a total bullet driven kind of guy too. I just think about the things I'm going to say, but okay. Third bucket, controlling ourselves. So we use our inner voice to coach ourselves through situations like don't do that. Do do this. Like don't eat the chocolate cake after 10 PM. Right? So we use our inner voice to coach ourselves along. And then fourth bucket, and this is the most I, I hate to use this word, but I'll use it anyway. It, it's kind of like magical and romantic in a certain sense. We use our inner voice to create stories that give us a sense of who we are. So, you know, things happen in the world that don't always mesh with how we think of ourselves. So you do an interview that doesn't go well and you get some bad emails. And how do you make sense of all this? Well, mm -hmm. we use our inner voice to, to craft a story, a narrative that gives us some sense of who we are as an individual. And, and th those narratives that we have about ourselves and about our lives and about the people we know, I mean, those are critical for allowing us to navigate this world effectively. So our inner voice does all those good things. 
That's the positive side. Here's the negative side, which will be familiar to a lot of listeners, I'm sure. Sometimes bad things happen in the past or things in the future that we're worried about or in the moment we're freaking out. And so what do we do? We reflexively try to use this inner voice to work through the problems, right? Because I just told you how amazing it can be. However, it doesn't help us. Instead, we get stuck in these negative thought loops. If it's a, oh my God, why did I say that? And what are they going to do? If it's something about the past, we call that rumination. If it's something about the future, what's going to happen with COVID and my kids at school and my job, we call that worry. The common theme is though, you're looping in your head right? You are trying to work through the problem verbally, but you're not making any progress. I like to think of that, the the metaphor is that hamster on an exercise wheel that's running, but not getting anywhere. And Mm -hmm. and that's what I call chatter. And, And chatter can be really toxic. You mentioned before that your cognitive capacities, you feel them, that they're more taxed as a mom, as an investor, as an entrepreneur. Well, we only have so much attention that we can focus at any given moment in time. And so if all of that attention is on our chatter, it doesn't leave over a whole lot to do what we want to do, whether it be read a book or, or even listen to our loved ones. So so chatter can really undermine our, our performance. One you know common experience people have is try, try reading a book when you're worried about something. Have you ever had this experience? You read like five um, pages, but don't remember anything? Yes, this is totally. And this is also getting exponentially worse as I get older, but maybe... <laughs> Maybe that's just because my chatter is getting higher and higher. And, you know, the last two years have created more chatter than ever before. But is another word for chatter anxiety? Like, are they one and the same or how would you dispute the difference? Well, so anxiety is is a particular form that, that chatter can take. So the way I define chatter is it's perseverating over something over and over without coming to some conclusion. Now, if that's about worrying about something in the future, that takes the form of anxiety. But you can also experience chatter that has like a tint of sadness to it. So when you're ruminating about a failed conquest or a rejection, you can become consumed with sadness. And that's chatter too, because you're just replaying in your head over and over that sad provoking event. Chatter can be anger fueled too. Like when you you harp on, on what that other person said to you. Like I've had meetings at work where a person says something that just lights me up and, and I'll replay it in my head over and over again. And, and that's chatter too. So Chatter refers to the process of turning over in your head something negative. And whether it leads to sadness or anxiety or anger, it really depends on the nature of the experience. It cuts across those different negative emotions. Where does this come from? Do we all have this in us? Do some of us have more of it because of maybe hereditary issues, neurotypes? Is it associated with mental health disorders, like actual depression or anxiety or ADHD? Like, where does this come from? And then we'll obviously later talk about how we can tame it. Like so many things in psychology, there's a little bit of genetics and a little bit of experience that fuel this. There is some evidence that there's some genetic components to this, but that also our experiences in the world, like what we learn from our parents and our, our caregivers and social media can all influence our tendency to experience chatter in the form that it takes. If you'll let me geek out for 60 seconds. Oh, I love geeking out. Okay, you know, what's really exciting now is that, so when you and I were growing up, we learned that you've got genes and your environment 
and those both influence behavior separately. But what we've learned over the past 10 or so years is is actually those two experiences can even mix, right? So your experiences in the world can can influence what how your genes are expressed. And the idea here is that a lot of us walk around with the same genes. Like you and I have the same genes, but but the environment, our experiences are turning some genes on for me and some genes off, and that's different from you. And so one useful metaphor here is to think about think about having like a piano inside your cells and we all have the same piano with the same keys, but our experiences in the world determine what songs get played on that piano. And the piano, you know, that's your DNA, that's your genes, and and the writer is the is the environment. So, oh, that's a good analogy. I mean, even a piano feels like like a, a DNA strand, <laughs> and some keys are turned on and some keys are turned off. Well, and, and what what I think is there's a message of hope in, in that example, right? Because it means that your genes aren't your destiny, actually. That we have a lot of agency and how we Mm -hmm. experience the world and what we learn can really influence us all the way down to how how our cells work. So, okay. So that was one of your questions. Another question you had was, how does this relate to like psychopathology and psychological disorder? Chatter is incredibly common. And that's, I think, one really important thing for listeners to know that if you get stuck in a negative thought loop, you know, congratulations, welcome to the human condition. Most people that I speak to experience chatter at some point to varying degrees. It's totally normal. It's unpleasant, but totally normal. There is a tipping point, uh, a point at which everyday experiences of chatter begin to morph into more serious forms of, of psychological disorder, like clinical forms of anxiety and depression. There are usually lots of other symptoms that accompany those those conditions beyond chatter. And critically, the idea there is that this experience of chatter that you're having is substantially interfering with your ability to live the life you want to live for a prolonged period of time, like at least two weeks. So it's really a sustained experience of chatter that is getting in the way of you living a good life. That would be like a simple way of reducing it. How would you measure that? Like, how could we know if if our chatter is too much? Two weeks of getting in the way of your life, what does that actually mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, you would want to do, like if you wanted a clinical diagnosis, you would want to go to someone who's equipped to provide that. And they would do an actual structured interview where they go over different symptoms of, of anxiety and depression as an example and see how frequently are you experiencing those symptoms on a daily basis over the course of two weeks? So that's what's involved in a, in a diagnosis. But if you find yourself incapable of not thinking about this problem for the bulk of your day, every day for several weeks, that's an indication that you probably, whatever you're doing is not sufficient and you wanna get a more intensive form of, of help. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I was actually just listening to Glennon Doyle's podcast, another person who's been on this podcast, and she had an episode about our bodies, uh, specifically the female body, and why so many women struggle with eating disorders. And she said a statistic that I actually resonate with because earlier in my life, I struggled with that same problem, which was that like she spent around 80% of her cognitive day thinking about what she ate, what her body felt like, if it was too much, should she work out? Like just like 80% of her brain was going towards thinking about food and body. And I know so many women struggle with this. And it seems to me like that's the point in time where if that exists for two weeks, you should go talk to someone. Is that the right way to think about it from an actual tangible example? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I mean, that's a significant portion of your experience in this world. And presumably, well, let's break it down. Like, so let's say your goal in life was you enjoyed thinking about eating and that was your job. Maybe you're a nutritionist. Sure. That's a different story. But if this is an unwanted set of negative thoughts that is uh-huh. interfering with your ability to, to be happy, to be productive, then it's a real cue that, yeah, you want to, you want to. Use some tools on your own. And if those aren't effective, do get some help. What if it's like a breakup or a loss? Like a lot of us are grieving right now with COVID and everything. Like that seems normal, right? Should we still be getting help for that? Or is that part of the traumatic experience? Yeah, well, you know, I think number one, abnormal times, there's a saying in psychology, like abnormal times call for abnormal reactions. We see that there's an increase in anxiety and depression right now. I think last I checked, it was like a threefold increase. That makes really good sense given what we're experiencing. I think one thing to keep in mind is it's not it's not like I'm experiencing this and then I need to go see someone and, and go to therapy. Like if that works for folks and they have access to those resources, absolutely pursue them. But there's also a whole, you know, boatload of things that people can do on their own to help manage these these different aversive states cool. that they're experiencing. And so you talk about that in the book, right? You say there there are 10 tools we can use to combat this disorienting self-talk and remove the dark side of this inner voice. Do you want to talk us through some of those right now? Totally. Yeah. And I think that's a big piece of it, right? Like we can experience chatter, but we've also evolved to possess tools we can use to manage it. There are a lot of them. And you know, the first thing is I like to organize them in three buckets. So there are things you could do on your own and there are ways of in interacting with other people, so like people tools. And then there are environmental tools, like ways of interacting with your physical spaces. And and there are sources of relief in each of those different places. And so I'll, I'll walk you through a few of my favorites. They won't be exhaustive, but just to give people a sense. Right, because we have the book for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Little plug. I, I, I can't I can't speak quick enough to, to go through them all. Um, <laughs> there you go. So, all right, so things you can do on your own. So the first thing to keep in mind is when we experience chatter, we end up zooming in on the problem. We focus really narrowly on the situation and we get so immersed that we often have trouble 
stepping back, seeing the big picture, which often has solutions, right, that can make us feel better. And so a lot of the tools that I talk about in my book deal with distancing, stepping back to get that broader perspective. One of my favorite tools is something called distance self-talk. And this is something I, I use on my own. The moment I sniff a little chatter brewing, I do this. Mm. And so what it involves is trying to coach yourself through a problem using your own name and the second person pronoun you. So, all right, Britt, how are you gonna manage? What are you gonna do here? Here's why this works. We know from lots of work that it is much easier for us to give advice to other people than it is for us to take our own advice. There's that famous saying, do do as I say, not as I do. And when I ask people, has has a friend or a loved one ever come to you with a problem that, you know, chatter, 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 they don't know what to do. They present the problem to you. And it's really easy for you to coach them through that situation. Consistently, like every hand in the audience goes up. And and the reason why that is, is you've got some space from their experience. You've got distance from it. So you could think more objectively about it. And so what we've learned through lots of science is that language provides us with this really useful and efficient tool for giving us some space from our own experiences. And it involves using your own name to think through an event. If you think about when we use names, 99% of the time that we use names, we use them when we think about and refer to other people. So the links between a name and thinking about someone else super tight in our, in, our, in our minds. And so the idea is when you use your own name, that turns on the brain machinery for thinking about others, making it much easier to be our own coach rather than our own critic um, per se. Oh. Okay, I like this because I already kind of do this because my company is Britain Co. <laughs> so I'm like, there's this girl Brit that represents Britain Co, but then there's me and we're totally two different people living in the same body. But I definitely understand what you're saying. Do you think that we should do this like in our heads or do we need to like talk out loud? And I do I need to actually have a conversation with Brit like in my car? I do it silently in my head. And in all of our studies, we've done it. We've asked people to do it silently. If you find that it's useful to do it out loud, go for it with a couple of caveats. If you are walking down the streets of San Francisco, make sure you have AirPods in your ear so it looks like you're talking to someone else. Um, <laughs> or make sure you're you know, in the privacy of your own home because um, some people do report talking out loud to themselves and they find it useful, but that, that violates social norms pretty, pretty strongly. And so we don't want to do that because that can have other kinds of negative consequences. So I would try doing it on your own, uh, doing it silently. That's that's how I, I do it. One, one interesting sidebar here to this whole phenomenon that I find interesting to think about, I'd, I'd love to hear what you think, is when we, when we tell people in experiments to use their own name to coach themselves through a problem, we ask them what they thought about when they did this, it very much looks like they're giving advice to a friend, right? It's like, they're being a co- come on, Ethan, you could get your act together. You've done this before. You'll do it again. But when we're stuck in our reflexive way of thinking about things and I, me, my, like, oh my God, I can't possibly do this. I've never done this with this little time to prepare. I'm going to suck. And what's interesting is a lot of people, when you ask them, hey, what's going on in your head when they're really struggling with something, they're often embarrassed to even share with, with you what they're thinking, right? They're so disparaging. They say things to themselves that they would never possibly consider saying to another human being. 
And I think that's really interesting to just stop, pause, and reflect over, right? The fact that we treat ourselves sometimes pretty harshly in ways that, you know, we would never do to those we care about. And so, um, so that I think also just gives people a frame to think about how to change their internal self-talk in ways that could be constructive. I think that's huge. I'm uh, admittedly not great at this because I start thinking about Brit and giving this person advice and I, I find myself going back and forth between being her and then giving her advice. I think it's so important to have a partner, a friend, a sister, a mom, like somebody in your life that you can also share those thoughts to that won't think you're crazy. Even with my husband, you know, I'm the Enneagram three perfectionist overachiever. It's like I have to act like nothing's ever wrong. And he just frankly calls me out and is like, no, you're actually freaking out because of this, right? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and so it's just like, you have to get it out of you. Well, let's talk about other people. Let's jump a category. So other people are an incredible potential asset when it comes to our chatter, but they can also be a huge vulnerability. And so there is both an art and a science to talking to others about our chatter. We know from lots of research that people are on the whole intensely motivated to share their feelings with others when they experience chatter. There are a couple of exceptions. So we tend not to talk about traumas and, and experiences that we're embarrassed about or are experiencing shame. Those we try to conceal, but all the other negative stuff that we find ourselves rummaging through, we wanna get it out. We wanna talk to other people. There's been a lot of research that looks at, does talking help? And it turns out sometimes yes, sometimes no. One of the reasons it doesn't help is many people want to just vent about their emotions. They just want to find someone to just get it out and express their feelings. What venting is really good at doing is establishing connection between two people. So Britt, you and I are buddies now. I call you up. I know you're there for me. I can share my emotions with you. Can you believe what this other podcast host said to me? It was so insulting. Oh my God. I do think women do this way more than men, by the way. And I mean, there are, like you're right. They're what girlfriends do. Totally. There's, there's a large literature on that. It's called co-rumination, where we just start, you know, pinballing, ping-ponging back and forth. Like, oh my God, this, and they said, what? And you did that? You're right. And blah, blah, blah. And so you and I, we've, our, our friendship is like rock solid. We're there for each other. But we leave that conversation and all that negative stuff that we started with is still there. It's still active. We're just as upset, sometimes even more upset when we're done talking. Mm -hmm. So what do the best conversations do? They do two things. You do need to share your emotions to a certain degree. It's important to establish that connection between two people. And, and of course, you need to learn about what I'm going through. But at a certain point in the conversation, the person you're talking to ideally helps you reframe the experience, right? You've got distance from my experience, so you're in an ideal position to give me some advice, to, to try to help me figure out how to manage this situation, how to work through it. And there are lots of forms that that can take, right? Like I may say, hey, I've gone through something similar. Here's what, here's, you know, how I've dealt with it. Or I can throw it back to you. You've done so many interviews before, like how have you managed the other difficult ones or, you know, lots of different ways of of trying to broaden the other person's perspective. But you wanna to try to do both of those things. You wanna find someone who can listen, 
but then also help you go broad. That's really the the key to to getting good chatter support on the one hand if I'm seeking it, and on the flip side it's the key to being a good chatter advisor to others. If my wife is really upset about something and just at a certain point I may even I'll, I'll say, "Hey, you want to keep going or can I offer you can I, can I give you my take on this?" And sometimes she'll say like, "Yeah, give me your take." Other times it's like, "No, just let me keep going. I'm not done." And and I think you want to respect that. And and that's the dance that is, yeah. you know, the chatter dance. So I like to think about all this as like coming up with your own like personal board of advisors. You know, I think this is a useful metaphor because if you think about a company, like companies have boards of advisors, a board of advisors to steer them through difficult times. And they think really carefully about who sits on that board. It's not just anyone. I think we'd all be better off if we thought really carefully about who we went to for support when it comes to our chatter. There's some people in my life who I love a lot. They love me a lot. I'm certain of it. I don't talk to them about my chatter because it's not helpful. It just makes it worse. So I've got like three people for personal stuff and four people for professional and that's my team. And I go to them and they're super helpful and and I like to think that I help them in turn. I love that. I don't think many people have a team to be honest. I think especially with COVID, we've been so isolated that we we maybe are checking in here and there, but we aren't getting that like full human experience to be able to to just drop in. And I do think, is this true as well? I heard this one time. Women like to get their emotions out and just held. Like they don't want to be problem solving, right? Usually they just want to vent, ruminate, whatever you were saying (laughs) and have the other person be like, that really sucks. That's a really hard experience you're going through. But then like to what you were saying about your wife, perhaps they want their problem solved too, in which case they could say, what, what do you think I should do? Or what, like, how would you solve this? But I find that, especially with my husband, we just went through this last week. (laughs) I was venting about something. I was like feeling like both scared and unsure and confused. And he just like dove in and was like, here's exactly what you should do. And I was like, I hate you. Back (laughs) off, back off, buddy. It's not what I wanted here. This is where, yeah. And this is, so uh, two things I want to address. I want to address the, the stereotypes because they're not entirely accurate, but I think these stereotypes that we have about how to help others can sometimes cause problems. Like when, if someone thinks that all they should do is ask you about how you feel and you want some of that advice, like that's not going to be productive. Likewise, if you're still in that first phase of letting it out, you could feel patronized if if someone just goes, hey, here's how to do it. Just shut it down. Shut, shut the emotion off for now. This is what you need to do. Right. Like that's not good either. So that's why I think knowing about this model, this framework, step one, listen. Step two, when ready, advise. Yeah. So the key is that pivotal question you asked your wife, like, do you want to keep going or do you want me to weigh in with some ideas or opinions here? Like that's That's huge. And it's, and it's delivered with total authenticity and empathy and care. Yeah. I think that that is totally key. So here's the science piece of this that I think is really important. When we're experiencing chatter, we've got two needs that we want to fulfill. We've got these emotional social needs. We want to connect with someone, know that they value us. We feel validated. It's the social, emotional stuff. Then we've got these cognitive needs. We've got this problem that needs to be solved. 
And so where social support often breaks down is only one of those needs gets met. The two-step process I outlined, that addresses both of those needs. You get the social stuff up front, right? I listen, I, I hear, I take it in, but then I'm also helping helping you work through the cognitive stuff. So so that's one piece of, of how to how to get help from others. Now, there is one other, you know, since we're talking about husbands and wives, I, I can't help but um, I want to throw one other thing out there. Can I throw it out there? Okay. Of course. Okay. Yeah. What we just talked about, those are instances of when I approach, let's say my wife and I'm like, hey, I, I need to talk to, to you about this thing. I'm really, I want to get it out, so, you know, get your advice. There are going to be lots of other instances in life where you're experiencing chatter, let's say your husband is, but they don't actually approach you for help. They don't ask you mm. for support. They don't ask, hey, can we talk? They're just dealing with it. So, so what happens if you see your husband sitting in a corner at home, you know, he's pulling his hair out. You know he's struggling, but he hasn't asked you and you volunteer some support. Turns out that that can blow up in in your face because what that can do is threaten his sense of autonomy. Like, you think I need help? I didn't ask you for help. You see this a lot with parents and kids. So like my daughter, who's uh, seven, uh, I can watch her, you know, she's doing her homework and I see she's struggling with something. And I come over and I'm like, hey, sweetie, can I help Can I help out? Like, I, I, I think I've done this before. I teach, I'm a, you know, I know how to do help. And, you know, the look of the death eyes I get when I volunteer that is like, did I ask you for help? Do you not think I could do this? And then my wife gets <laughs> called and then I'm, you know, I'm going back to my home office. I'm in my home office. Yeah, you're I'm, in time out now. I'm in yeah, time exactly. myself. Like, and so this is just a well-intentioned, you know, attempt to help. But what I'm doing is I'm, I'm threatening my daughter's sense of self-efficacy, this idea that she can do it on her own. And so it turns out this is a common phenomenon. But the good news is there are still ways to help when you see someone else struggling, but they haven't asked you for help. We call this helping invisibly, helping without even knowing it. And there are lots of forms that this can take. So if I know that my wife is trying to do a thousand different things and is really struggling, I can just ease her burden in a few very simple ways. Like I could take care of groceries and dinner and pick up the dry cleaning. Like she's not asking me to do it. I'm just doing it, right? That's one way of significantly improving her circumstance and giving her some help. Another thing you could do like with a team, let's say someone on your team is really struggling. So in my lab group, someone's really struggling with their public speaking skills. Rather than pulling them aside and say, hey, and I noticed that you were stumbling a little bit and maybe you should get some coaching. Uh, I might instead like send a note to the entire group and be like, hey, I just came across these resources, like really found them helpful for public speaking. And I share them with everyone. So I'm getting the information without shining a spotlight on that one team member's inadequacy. What would you do with your seven-year-old when she's struggling with homework? Because <laughs> I think probably a lot of parents go through this or like something like really in the moment. I'm, my mom used to do this to me. I'm totally feeling the self-efficacy thing. I would like open the refrigerator and I would just be staring at all the food in my head, thinking about what I wanted to eat. And my mom would be in the room somewhere being like, you could make a turkey and cheese sandwich. You could like make apples and peanut butter. And I would be like, mom. I know what I can make. Stop telling me. Like I was in my thought process. So 
I'm trying to avoid my next 10 years of parenting and getting the same feedback from my children. So what do you do when you're like really in the moment? I think it's really hard for parents in particular because many of us, all we want to do is help, right? That's like we are, we are evolutionarily driven to try to help, but we've got to let the kids also develop a sense of agency. So with kids, one of my favorite ways of helping invisibly, touch is one of the most primitive tools that we have for for regulating other people's emotions. There are there are neurochemicals that are being released that help fight stress when you engage in affectionate touching. Animals benefit from from grooming one another via that pathway. But then something else happens when you touch someone affectionately, which is you're reminded at a conscious level, hey, someone someone cares about me, someone loves me, and that's really helpful too that sense of belonging when you're struggling with things. So so with my kids, like that would be probably the first thing that I would try to do. And if that weren't sufficient, I would go up the ladder of invasiveness. So, so you know, other people, right? Like an amazing resource, but, but it's tricky and you wanna navigate it the right way. What I find so exciting about this space is that science does provide a roadmap for, for how you can authentically leverage your relationships with, with other people to really benefit yourself and also, you know, help them too. What about the notion of writing back and forth, whether that's texting, maybe you're DMing on Instagram with a total stranger about your chatter, or even just journaling to get it out when you talked about like distance self-talk. So do you have the same benefit with writing or typing as you do with speaking to yourself in your head or even touching? Yeah, we actually did an experiment on this in the lab where we had people text their social support messages to people and the same dynamic played out. We had people in one condition, like we just had them vent in the texts and sure enough, like their negative emotions skyrocketed from the beginning to the end of that conversation. But in another condition, it started off, the people were learning about what happened to the person who was upset. I think that this was like a, a romantic relationship problem they were talking about. And then the the person they were texting with helped them go broad. Hey, would you, you know, there are lots of other things like there's another party this week. And, you know, why don't we try doing this? I dealt with this before and it was a pain. So just doing things to get people broken out of that very immersed state of stewing and the awfulness of their, their current predicament. And, and they felt much better. They had more closure after that conversation. So you can do this virtually. Expressive writing, like journaling, can be really effective for helping people work through chatter. And part of the reason we think it helps people is there is some distancing that happens there because when you're writing about yourself, you become a character in a story. So like you're the narrator and you're looking at this person. Ethan is, you know, doing this stuff. And so so that's another way of distancing that can be helpful. Um, one other really easy to implement distancing tool just to squeeze in here is something called mental time travel. So if you're dealing with something like uh, an acute stressor, um, a, an interview that just, you know, really went, went, went south or, or a date that you just, you know, you wished would never have happened. Um, jumping into the mental time travel machine and thinking, how am I going to feel about this a month from now, six months from now, a year from now? A very simple exercise you could do, but it can be really useful because what, what happens when you do that is you realize, in all likelihood, I will feel much better about this rejection six months from now. And, and that highlights how unstable, how temporary your current feelings are. And that does something really powerful. It gives us hope that we're going to feel better. 
And just knowing that we're gonna feel better is a real powerful tonic when it comes to a chatter filled mind. This happened to me the other day. I was on Bloomberg, like the TV channel, live doing an interview about self-made, this women's entrepreneurship course that we teach at Britain Co. And everything was going well. <laughs> then, like These books on the shelf behind me started falling. Like they weren't propped up correctly, I guess. And I was like looking at them, looking at the reporter. I mean, I kept going. I like moved through it, but it was really awkward. And it was like, it could have been like a viral video kind of thing. Cause I was just like, wow, it was like an earthquake just happened behind me. And after the interview, I was mortified. I was just like, oh God, I ruined it. That was terrible. They're never going to ask me back. Like all the chatter was starting. And I did exactly what you said. I was like, you know, this is like, one segment of 24 hours in their day. They probably didn't even think twice. Most people that watch this, this is like a five second blip in a five minute interview. Like it's not gonna be a big deal. Maybe maybe I can leverage this for good. Maybe I can make fun of myself because like crap happens to us all the time and we just move through it, you know? And and so I, I did that and I was just like zooming out as much as I could to be like, this was a tiny thing in the midst of such a bigger play here. It's not, and maybe it's a positive thing at yeah. the end of the day. And, it, thought, and it, did it help? Yeah. And then I did, I made fun of myself on Instagram and I was like, Hey guys. So I it was on Bloomberg today. It was awesome. Then like all the books fell and it was really awkward, but like book drop is the new mic drop. Haha. <laughs> just like, oh, what, what can you do? You could even see it in your face as you're talking, like you're smiling, you're laughing. That's not what we're doing usually when we are mired in chatter. And so yeah. like you're embodying the, the like how to use these tools. And there are like 26 different tools like that I found in the, in the literature that I talk about in the book. Some of these tools are things that you may have done, but not, you just kind of stumble on them in your life. You're not really aware of what they are. Then there are tools that you just maybe didn't know about at all. So a lot of people don't know that using their own name to coach themselves through a problem can be useful. So now you've got those. And then there are some tools that you thought helped you, but actually the science says they're not so helpful, like venting. And, and we could give you those. What does knowing about these tools do for people? It allows you to be really deliberate and strategic in, in bringing them to the situation when you're really struggling. So I know when I have the books falling on me, and believe it or not, like it hasn't been books, but there have been plenty of situations like that for me. They happen on a regular basis. The, the mic stops working in a live interview. What do you do? And I just, I can instantly go to, all right, Ethan, how are you going to feel six months from now? And then I'll call up my, my buddy and then I'll go for a walkout. So you can activate these things right when you need to. And I think there's real value that that comes from that. So Yeah, and I think the more you can get into a habit of of knowing how to activate these things or knowing how to self-talk or just call your board of advisors, like just the less chatter will be in your life, right? The less, the, the less negative chatter will be in your life, right? What is like the optimal in state? You can't prevent this from ever happening. Is it just that we like, we just nip it in the bud as soon as it's popping into our head? I wanna just go back and pause on what you just said. We can't prevent us from ever experiencing chatter. Like, I think that's really important for people to recognize because sometimes folks hold themselves to such a high standard. So I remember I was teaching a class on, on self-control and we were just talking about what does it mean to be good at self-control? And some students thought that if they are even tempted to do something, they have failed to exercise control. So in other words, if you are even tempted to have a cookie at, 
at 10 p.m. and you're dieting. You failed. Doesn't matter if you eat it or not. And my answer to them was like, wow, that's a really high bar you're setting for yourself. Like for me, the bar is lower. It's do I eat the cookie or not? So I think it's implausible to expect to lead a life um, that is free of all chatter. And and so I think we should not strive to do that because we're setting us up for... um, not meeting our expectations. I think exactly as you're saying, we want to have a, a toolkit available. So the moment the chatter strikes, we can we can sniff it out right away. And you know, there are different combinations of tools are gonna be are gonna work for different people. And I think there's there's some self-experimenting that folks can do to try to figure out, hey, what are the tools that work work best for me? And at the end of the day, is this problem getting worse generationally? And if so, what do you think is the cause for that? You know, it's such a it's it's such an interesting question, but it's also like a really hard one to answer because I mean, let me tell you, as like some as a scientist who studies chatter, like I so wish we had been documenting this since like the the early hundreds uh, and after, but we haven't, so it's hard to know. I think there are some biases where many of us think that like oh, when we grew up, things weren't this extreme now. We are living through some pretty turbulent times right now with technology transforming the way we interact. I think social media is providing us with more opportunities to experience chatter. It's also providing us with some opportunities to get support, though, so those balance out. So so it's hard to know. Um, we're definitely experiencing more chatter over the past 18 months due to COVID. That I'm yeah. certain of. I think we're living through like the chatter event of the last 100 years, so... There's lots of opportunities to, to use these tools now. But I think the biggest question is, how can we just figure out how to manage these aversive states so that we're not falling victim to them in ways that are making us unhappy and unproductive? And I think there's lots that science has to say about how to do that. And and to your point with telehealth and all of these new improvements and psychology, therapy, even FDA approval of things like ketamine and like specific psychotic drugs that help you reduce the chatter so you can think through it. it it's amazing. There's a lot of really positive stuff going on, despite, <laughs> to your point, the last 18 months and and everything else generationally and through technology. So that gives me hope. I like this. Um, I think this is really useful for all of us because, again, we all deal with this problem. We all have many voices in our head. And now I think we understand the chatter voice much better. So Ethan, we usually give our listeners a piece of homework every week. Is there one project or assignment you would like to give out? Because you are a professor yes. um, to our students this week. Yeah, I, I'm going to give two. So sorry to be that that okay. that professor, Double, that guy. But extra credit. Extra credit. <laughs> but one of these things may, well, hopefully both of them will, will, will help. So I want folks to make two commitments. Commitment is number one is to try to figure out what are the combinations of tools that work best for you to help you manage your chatter. So try a tool, see if it helps. If it helps, keep using it. If not, try something else and try them in combinations. And then commitment number two is share this information with at least one other person, right? One other person who you think would benefit from knowing about some of these tools. Doing that has the potential to help that individual. But we also know that one of the best ways of making ourselves feel happy is to do something good for someone else. So so there's an added bonus there. So so make those two commitments and, and let me know how it goes. Yes, and I think I'm going to do both of those and then extra, extra credit to ask that key question, which is when I'm listening to somebody talk through their chatter, when they're ready, would you like 
to keep going or do you want me to offer some advice or help? That's going to be key for me, at least. So I'm going to take that with me. Thank you so much for explaining all this with us. The book is called Chatter. You can find it pretty much where anywhere books are sold, I'm sure. And Dr. Ethan Cross, where can we find more about you? You can um, find more about me on my website, www.ethancrosswithak.com. And there are links to social media there, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and so forth. So so thank you for having me on for a really, really fun and enjoyable conversation. Really, really, yeah. really enjoyed it. Same here. Best of luck. Thank you again. And everyone else, that's our show for today. So if you enjoyed it, leave us a virtual high five by rating and reviewing. And other than that, we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit and Co. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Allie Ives and Allie Perry with additional production and sound design by Mark Lemmerjazy and Aaron Peterson. 